Oh, said Caspian, I see what's bothering you. You think I'm a ghost or some nonsense. But don't you see? I would be that if I appeared in Narnia now, but because I don't belong there anymore. But one can't be a ghost in one's own country. I might be a ghost if I got into your world. I don't know. But I suppose it isn't yours either now you're here. A great hope rose in the children's hearts. But Aslan shook his shaggy head. No, my dears, he said. You, When you meet me here again, you will have come to stay, but not now. You must go back to your own world for a while. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. And thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the sixth book in the series, The Silver Chair, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do tend to go on tangents into other stories and things we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoilers, spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are finishing The Silver Chair, last chapter, chapter 16, The Healing of Harms. We made it, Chase. We're we're done with book six. We're finally <laughs> six sevenths of the way done. You know, uh, and, and we were tracking with our last podcast. How many chapters? Are, how many? This is our. Are we in? This is our ninety fifth podcast, including our intro. Ninety four chapters, ninety five podcasts, and by the end, there will be a hundred and eleven total. And so we'll let you know in you know chapter five of next book. We'll throw a little mini party for our 100th episode uh, and then a big 11th first one. But before that, Chase, I think we got a summary to get through. I think we do. Right on. Well, if you remember, our, uh, our heroes were delighted to wake the next morning and see that they were no longer in the underworld. Jill started to wake Puddleglum and Eustace, but then the familiar uh, rhyming voice of Glimfeather, the owl, remember guys? interrupted her and told her he had come early that morning with a message for the prince who had just left, and they were to follow once they were ready. Just then, a fawn trotted in and said she should go ahead and wake the son of Adam, and that some centaurs had offered to ride them to care Paravel, and that's a pretty big deal, because it's a rare honor to ride a centaur, because, like, you know, disrespect and whatnot, to meet with the prince and king who were already there. Apparently the king had met Aslan on his journey, who told him to sail home, and that his long-lost son would be waiting for him there. Feels like he could have done that before going on the journey, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Puddleglum uh, was to stay here since he since a healer was on his way to look at his foot. Eustace was up and eating breakfast, and the centaurs taking them were also working on their large breakfast. As they have both human stomachs and horse stomachs, and have to have breakfast for both, Chase, don't you know? They said goodbye to Puddleglum, who was very negative as usual, but they kissed him and shook his hand goodbye and then climbed onto the backs of some song centaurs. Uh, it was uncomfortable riding bareback, but a beautiful journey. They passed through forests, rode a ferry, sailed by a marsh wiggle, and rode up the river to Care Paravel, where they saw a grand ship approaching. Rillian had changed from his black cloak into scarlet red robes, Gryffindor, over armor, and trumpets greeted the returning king. But as the boat docked, it was clear something was wrong. A pale-faced lord came out and said something to Trumpkin and Rillian, and then the men carried King Caspian out onto a bed where Rillian knelt and his father blessed him. Then the king's head fell back, and everything went silent. Wait, did we just see Caspian die? The great lion banner on the on the castle was brought down to half-mast. The music began again, though with a tune that would break your heart. Jill said, I wish I was at home. Eustace nodded, and then a voice behind them said, I have come, and they turned and saw the lion himself. 
Jill started to apologize, but Aslan stopped her and said that she would have uh, that she had done what she was brought to Narnia to do. She asked if she could go home now, and Aslan uh, blew on them, and suddenly they found themselves back on Aslan's mountain beyond the end of the world. They were no longer at the castle, but for some reason, they could still hear the funeral music. Caspian's body was there in a stream on golden gravel, and all three stood over him and wept, even Aslan. Aslan turned to Eustace and said, Son of Adam, go into that thicket and bring me the thorn you find there. He did so, and Aslan told him to drive it into his paw. And Eustace asked if he must, and then did. And uh, a great drop of the reddest blood fell into the stream over Caspian's body, and at this moment, the funeral music stopped and the king's body changed. His white beard turned gray and then blonde and then vanished. His cheeks became rounder and he gained the colors of life and then he stood up and joined them. Though Jill could not distinguish his age because people in Aslan's country don't have a particular age. Caspian threw his arm around, arms around Aslan and gave him the strong kisses of a king and Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. Caspian greeted Eustace saying he'd made it up to the end of the world after all. They pointed out that Caspian was dead, which is, you know alarming, and Aslan pointed out that most people have died, even him, which again, alarming, and there are very few who have not died yet, and uh, once again, a third time, it's alarming. He said that they would go back to their world for a while before this uh, would become their home, but had them uh, prepare their weapons to go back. He led them through the wood in the wall of Experiment House before them, Aslan roared, and 30 feet of wall collapsed, kissed their foreheads, and then laid down in the bushes with his back to England and his face to his own land. And the gang of bullies that had been chasing Jill and Eustace ran up, but then their mean faces turned to fear, because when they saw the wall had fallen down, they also saw a giant lion the size of a baby elephant laying in the gap, and three figures in glittering clothes with weapons coming at them and beating them with a horse whip and the blunt edges of swords. This is a children's book. The head of the school came out uh, and then ran back to call the police and about an escaped lion and convicts carrying swords who had broken down the wall. And in all the commotion, Eustace and Jill slipped inside and changed clothes. There was an inquiry at the school when the police found the wall was not broken down and uh, there was no lion. And the head was bad enough at her job to get promoted, which is something. You know, uh, after they, after this, uh, things got better at Experiment House, and Jill and Eustace always remained good friends. Far off in Narnia, Rillian buried his father and ruled over a happy land where now people could go down and sail in the underground caves and tell stories of the cities far below. And we'll and we'll you know pick up some adventures with Jill and Eustace next chapter, which is the next book. But Chase, Chase, that is the summary for the final chapter. Of the silver chair. Yeah, we made it. We did it. <laughs> and, and it would not be fitting to close any chapter or to close any book of the Narnian series if we were not spending several pages talking about breakfast. Yes. Yeah, it, uh, my favorite was when he took a whole page to describe the anatomy of centaur stomachs. That, oh, was, yeah. that was a fun time. Well, Chase, how else are we supposed to know why the centaurs are early, but also late? <laughs> yeah, they'd been there since very early that morning, but also they'd been eating since the moment they woke up, and it had been at least four or five hours. Which uh, seems is, irrational, but you know, it is what it is. It is what it is, uh, you know, but our uh, our heroes wake up, and uh, we, we realize that Rillian has already gone. Uh, you know, after they enjoyed a supper and everything, they're glad to not be underground anymore, which fair. 
Uh, I respect that. Um, and they're like, hey, it's time to wake up. And guess who it is, Chase? It's Glenn Feather, the owl from like the first Ooh-hoo. couple chapters, remember? He's you know who it is, who? You know who, who? Like, uh, it's, it's, so it's like, oh, cool. Here's Glenn Feather for, again, like two paragraphs. Yep. And then, and then he's gone. <laughs> and immediately again. disappears and does not come back up. Like, we don't see him again. Like, it's just, like, great. I'm glad we get to see Glenn Feather one more time. Which, if you remember the beginning of the book, Glimfeather could just carry them to Caraparavel right now. He to can quote, carry both of them. To quote every hater of Lord of the Rings, why not use the eagles? And by the eagles, I mean the owl. Yeah, why not use the giant bird who can get you where you're trying to go, like teleporting, instead of having and, to eat breakfast with centaurs? He could carry you, and you don't have to disrespectfully mount this sentient being. Yeah, it uh which like that is a consistent thing, at least I don't know where it started. It's a thing in Harry Potter too though. Of like you do not ride centaurs. Centaurs do not let you ride them. That is demeaning. That is treating them like common work animals. It's just not done. Right. And so here it's, they are riding them anyways. And like cool that they're like, oh, these are honored guests. We are willing to do this for them, that's yeah. neat. But there is another mode of transportation that is more effective that eliminates the need for this disrespect to a people group. Yeah. No, it uh unnecessary for sure. But, you know, why not do it anyways? Because then you can talk about stomachs. Yeah, because that that is true. You know, if we if if CS Lewis wasn't me like wasn't able to uh, you know demean some centaurs how else were we going to know that, like, because our group is like, oh, man, y'all need to go have breakfast because the centaurs are about to finish up theirs. And they're like, oh, man, shoot, are yeah, we late? They've been waiting all up? morning. They've been waiting all morning. Do we need to rush out? And then they're like, <laughs> do you need to rush? Centaurs have still got a lot to eat. And they're like, haven't they been here? For hours? They're like, oh, yeah, since, since, like, break of dawn. And they're like, are, are y'all terrible hosts? Did you not feed them? And they're like, no, don't you know? They have both a human stomach and a horse stomach, and both are abnormally large. Yeah. Because, you know, human Talk breakfast... respect. Like, like it's, it, it's like the human breakfast is already... It makes my stomach hurt listening to it, because it was like, you know, each centaur has first porridge... And then pavenders, whatever that, whatever that is, and then kidneys and bacon, an omelet, cold ham, toast, marmalade, coffee, and beer, so they get a nice buzz for the day. And then that sounds exhausting. That's that is a wild <laughs> breakfast. breakfast. Like, and like if this is a normal human stomach, it's like, oh Lord, like that's crazy. Yeah, but then that person is not moving today. <laughs> Right. Then the horse part takes over and they graze for an hour and then are given some hot mash, some oats, and a bag of sugar. What in the world? So they had cereal with breakfast too. I mean, like a a cauldron of it. (laughs) 
uh, but you and know, then he, and then he at, least the at least they're ripped because C.S. Lewis did make sure to let let us know that they're hot. <laughs> yeah, cue for if you cue from last podcast if you remember the centaurs are about to open the doors to wildest dreams from Taylor Swift. Same way that Prince Brilliant did, <laughs> their their hairs fluttering in the wind. Uh, there was but, just something about the way that he described the centaur's beard and like, like a muscled like bare chest. I'm just like, C.S. Lewis, you good? You good here? C.S. <laughs> like their chiseled abs, sweat dripping down. Ooh, <laughs> like you you good there, Clive? You're all right. Uh, but, uh, you know, once the centaurs finish their, like, their feast of a breakfast, uh, and then, you know, C.S. Lewis is like, this is why you don't ever invite centaurs over for the weekend, because you'll go broke. Like, yeah. it's like, oh, I guess so. Uh, they finally, Especially like, with the price of eggs these days? Come on. Bruh. Am I right? This is why you gotta have your own chickens, man. Uh, I don't have my own chickens, and I don't want them. But you know, I've thought about do. it, but it would be so much work to learn how to take care of chickens. That I'm just like, no, this is not happening. Courtney really wants to have, like, she like she has dreams to have a little chicken coop, but not like I would say the the having your own eggs is like second or third down the list of reasons why she wants chickens. The main reason. Is because she wants to be able to name chickens funny names, like nice. like that's Dixie Chick, that's Biker Chick, that's Hippie Chick. Like she just wants to be able to name chickens funny names. And I was like, that's not a good reason to get a chicken coop. I have to disagree. That's an incredible reason to get a chicken coop. <laughs> well, we'll leave it for the listeners. You know, uh, on the off chance someone's comments on this post. Uh, or uh, you know, leaves us a, a rate and review. Let us know. Is is getting chickens just so you can name them uh, a valid reason to have one? Yeah. I think- and if you have no opinion but just want to engage, just on whatever post for this podcast on Instagram, just comment a chicken emoji. Yeah, <laughs> man, that feels like it's going to get real inappropriate real fast. Um, Don't worry about it. Just comment a chicken emoji. <laughs> But here, but here we are, chicks. We're just be- we're begging listeners for their chicken emojis. Yeah, uh, this is the podcast we've turned into. Just but, don't be too hard about it. Yep. But the uh, we come to you know the the leaving between uh, Jill and Eustace and Puddle Glum because Puddle Glum is going to wait because there's a doctor on the way. Uh, obviously, you know reasons. You got to have, I guess, a goodbye here, and couldn't couldn't have done it back in uh, back in Narnia. Had to do it here for some reason. Yeah, and you know, Puddle Glum does not reappear except for like a brief comment at the very end of the chapter. This is their last time to ever see Puddle Glum, right? And like the you know, just like with last chapter, C.S. Lewis is like, oh, we got to remind everyone that he's still cynical. He's still Squidward. Uh, but with big feet, uh, and like he, they're probably going like, to have to take off the foot, which they're probably going to have to remove. Like, see, as like Puddle Glum is like, oh, doctor's coming. He probably wants to amputate, and they're like, no, dummy. He just wants to heal the burn. And they're like, you're just. They're like, you, oh, classic Puddle Glum. Such a you know, such a you know, sourpuss. Such a you know, like just a doleful chap. 
uh, you know, you're. They love them anyways. They, they, that's our puddle glum. Insert, you know, laugh track from a sitcom. Like, wah, wah. <laughs> like that's it's a what's the SNL skit? It's uh, uh, Debbie Downer. Downer. <laughs> oh, puddle glum. The doctor's coming to like make your foot better. He's probably gonna amputate it. <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, we still love you, even though you're, you know, a big cynic. You're the bravest guy we know." And they give him a smooch. They give him a big old hug. And then they're like, "All right, bye." That's all she wrote. That is the end of Puddlecomb's story. For all we know, the doctor did amputate. <laughs> for, all we, for all we know. Puddle Glum is just a head in a jar saying cynical comments to Rillian because we don't see him again. He's a head in the jar in the middle of Futurama. So, yep. you know, you, you work with what you got. But just as C.S. Lewis does, we move on from Puddle Glum, the best character in this book, with the most unceremonious goodbye. Just like ridiculous. But now we have to hear about how uncomfortable it is to ride bareback, Kel. Like, it is. Here's the thing. I'm sure. Bareback is, un- is uncomfortable. And we've already acknowledged this. Feel- I feel like I'm like, uh, like, this is like a stand-up bit almost, where it's like, we've already acknowledged that like riding a centaur is disrespectful. Agreed. You know, we're here for that. Like, this feels like the Daniel Tosh kind of thing. Uh, but it's like, if you're riding bareback on a centaur, could you not have something to hold on to that would like allow you to kind of loosen your, like, grip of your legs and like your hips up a little bit like you can't just hold on to the chiseled stunning features of the you gotta the you gotta wrap your hands around those apps you know you're like ooh, sorry <laughs> my hand slipped down onto your six-pack my apologies <laughs> i was able to hold on because the the, the muscles are so defined <laughs> oh sorry this is uh so what the book's really about <laughs> There is a whole like section about them riding bareback and then seeing the beautiful like surroundings around them with this, you know, stunning centaur. So, you know, I don't, what do you want from me, Chase? I, I want exactly that. But you know what else I want, Kel? You know, we met Puddle Glum. We love Puddle Glum. Absolutely. I always We're- said, don't, shouldn't we have more Marsh Wiggles? Shouldn't I every would- character in Narnia be a Marsh Wiggle from now on? It'd be way funnier. It uh, it is what happens the rest of this chapter because on their way to Caraparavel, they ride a ferry sailed by a marsh wiggle because apparently marsh wiggles do all water related work in Narnia. Obviously, and then not they the, get to Caraparavel where there's more marsh wiggles working on the, the boat. There's way more marsh wiggles than I ever would have imagined. For being again, didn't exist until this book. Sure, a race that did not exist until the silver chair. At least in turn, like there's literal water dryads and spirits that can do. Like, why do you need someone to sail a boat? You have hey, that giant river guy. Remember when we had an entire book based on a boat and it didn't come up once? <laughs> remember how there was no marsh wiggles? Like, and this is, and it's not even like that was the thousand year jump. That was this dude's dad. Yeah. Like that was it, like 50 years ago. Pops. Like it's like are you telling me there was no marshmallows 50 years ago who could sail boats? 
But the the frogs have come a long way since then. Are like are these those weird like one footed creatures that like really quickly have like mutated and evolved? Yeah, they grew a second foot, mated with human women and frogs, and uh, here we are. Really, and became real depressed as soon as that happened. Well, they have a they have a good memory. They know where they came from, and it just the marsh wiggles out. don't forget. The North remembers. <laughs> But gosh, but yeah, bunch of marsh wiggles. Uh, and then, so we arrive at the ship. We're here. We're standing by Caraparavel, and we get to basically watch. Everyone's celebrating. It's a good time, yeah. Jason. Great time. Boats arriving. Wow, reunion celebration. Oh, that guy coming off the boat's real pale, huh? Wait, hold on. Like all the trumpeters are like. Because they immediately see Caspian die. Yeah. <laughs> Just, what? Like, what? <laughs> what? They I, at least they have his bed ready to carry out. I mean, that's good, I guess. But I like, mean, he gets to see his son for a second. Yeah, they they at least get their goodbye, and he gets to bless his son. Uh, you know. Uh, no I, questions I about succession here. Really, and raises up his arm, and you know his dad feels his arms to make sure that it's him, and then he you know feels some goat hair, and he's like, "Is this really you?" Wait, hold on, that's a different, different yeah. guy, different yeah. thing, different blessing. But Only one Jason, son, no, no porridge involved here. No porridge, just a giant green snake lady. Yeah. Uh, so there Chase, are some through lines. Is this the most like uh, like other than Aslan? Which, like, I'm trying to remember back to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Do we actually see the moment that Aslan dies? Um, I don't think we, like, see it. I think we see Lucy and Susan's react. Like, I think they look away and they hear that it's over and then they see his body. I don't think they actually see him die. Like... This might be the first actual death other than... Okay, I just... I, t- I turned back real fast. It says the children did not see the actual moment of the killing. They couldn't bear. So, like, this is the most significant death that we see, quote-unquote, on screen. Like, yeah. we... And we and it's not in a battle. We, de- we don't even see the White Witch get killed. No. We don't... All like, that whole battle happens off, see, off screen. Which is like, still insane. So frustrating. Like, we, there's not been a lot of death. I mean, you could say the, like, the, the, the green witch, if you want to call her that, the lady of the green, uh, Kurt, what was it? Kurtle. Lady Kurtle, uh, which just makes me think she's got a bad tummy ache. Um, but, like, I guess hers is, is an actual death, you know? Yeah, but, but that's like a murder. Right. This is we don't see any main characters die really until this moment. And it's a dude dying of old age chase. Yeah. In a fantasy book. This chapter deals with death a few times. Several times. Very lightly. (laughs) Like this moment, it is really heavy. Like, man, like I'm glad. See, like, part of me is really glad how he addresses this, 
because it's addressing death for children. But another part of me is like, they kind of move on, but also they do not rebuke the children for having emotions, which I do appreciate because all the the crying that happens in this chapter is honored. Right. Because what happens immediately. So Caspian dies. He, you know, gives his blessing and then croaks straight up. And then Rillian is Rillian does what anyone who just lost their father would do. He lays his head down on him and weeps. And it's like, that's sweet. That's beautiful. And then everyone else in the crowd gets really quiet. And they're like, wow, this is heavy. They bring the banner down to half mast. They are not playing music anymore. And then they start playing like funeral songs. They start playing, like they're honoring the dead. And then uh, Jill and Eustace, who are now both experiencing this motion, Jill says, I wish I was home. And like Eustace is, you know, biting his lips so he doesn't cry and just nods. And immediately the response is Aslan saying, I'm here, I've come. And he is like, he's not rebuking them saying like, child, do not, you know, cry because he's in Aslan's country. Like, you know, he's he's, like, things are better. He just acknowledges it with his presence. He's saying. Which, and I like that, like, when Jill wishes for home, Aslan is, is home. Like his answer to that request is his presence, not just like, okay, here's a door, walk through it. Right. And later we are going to have an even some significant foreshadowing uh, for the next book. Uh, And we will make sure to give a hard spoiler warning in a little bit when we talk about that. Uh, But uh, of going like Aslan ultimately is our home in the same way that Jesus is our home. I think often there is this kind of conception in Christian thought and belief where it's like Jesus is the route to heaven, but ultimately it's like, no, Jesus is, is what you're aiming for. He's yeah. who you want to be around. Like heaven is just where you get to be around Jesus. Like Jesus is the goal and the trophy, you know, like he is everything that we could want, you know, and uh, like, I like what you said that like, you know, Aslan is the comforting presence. He is the one who is home and who will also bring them to their temporary home. And then of course, Jill, because she has forgotten all the signs already and led them off track, started to apologize, but Aslan kind of stops her, keeps her from getting into it. And it's just like, no, you've, done what I brought you here to do and doesn't let her dwell on her mistakes. Right. Which is sweet. Yeah. But I do want to take a quick pause real quick to go. They botched everything. Yeah. So hard. And Aslan worked it for good. And Aslan worked it for good. What was the point of even giving them signs? And like, why not just say, Hey, go do these things. And like, if like, what was the point of the signs if there was no consequences to a like I mean it's uh it's about growing towards faithfulness, not about being perfect. Blah blah blah, Chase. Whatever, fine. If you want to give that answer, sure. I wanna go home now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jill. Uh but no, I mean you're right, and that's 
I that's why I just wanted to take a quick pause there, but going like Aslan is ultimately able to work all of their mistakes. And, you know, the answer is like if they had followed things perfectly, it would have been a much easier journey. And, you know, the book would have been what it should have been, which is, you know, five chapters long. Um, I mean, it still could be that. Still could have been, even with the mistakes. Uh, But we, you know, ultimately they do get the last sign correct. And that is the most important one is like the person who asks you for something in my name that's really it. And so, uh, you know, and Aslan's going to honor that. Uh, they've, they've accomplished their task. And he's like, all right, time to bring you home. And he does what he did at the beginning of the book, but kind of in reverse. Whereas if he blows on them, and as opposed to sending them somewhere, it's almost like he's sending the world around them elsewhere, which is a really cool imagery. I did like that a lot. Yeah, he does a, uh, a cool blur transition, and suddenly they're back on the mountain. Man. Aslan, king of king of special effects, king of editing. He's uh, a great guy. He's a he, he's he not. Kind of gives me, you know, in uh, in um, oh gosh, is it Endgame or is it uh, an Infinity War when they're like at the collector's lair trying to get the the reality stone, and then he like has the fake reality, and then it yeah. just melts away, and then suddenly. See what really happened. Super cool. There's a really cool effect. Picturing uh, that this mountain yeah. is also on fire and everyone's the, dead. I pictured Especially it. In, I pictured him blowing and like almost like they were on like like the world was a giant like spherical treadmill that was just like and it just like passed by them. Um, but uh, they they zoom past everything until they're on Aslan's mountain in Aslan's country, beyond the world again. Uh, and this, what they see now, the funeral music hasn't stopped, but they look into the stream where they were once before, you know, where, if you remember, this is where uh, Jill goes and she's, you know, thirsty. She needs to drink, but she sees this lion standing there. They're at the same stream. But this time when they look in, they see dead King Caspian. Uh, and so uh, he's laying there and still he's clearly dead but it's a beautiful serene moment and aslan tells eustace hey go get that thorn from in the thicket and bring it to me and he's like okay and he's like now drive it into my paw and eustace is like hold on um let's talk about this real quick really gonna do me like that like uh (laughs) he's like you're gonna make me stab you like this feels a little bit extreme it feels very it feels it feels intense. And Aslan is like, yes, stab me in the paw, and he does. And then he dry he he pulls the thorn back out of Aslan's foot, and out of it comes a great drop of blood, redder than all redness. Super yeah. red. So red. It's like like imagine red and make it redder. Yeah. That's that, you know? Yeah, think like a stoplight, but like really bright, you know. But like in in redder, and make, make it redder. But you know, like yeah. red in California, think like that, but like redder. You know, like the album by Taylor Swift, make it redder. <laughs> <laughs> I I really want to continue this joke, but I can't think of any more red things. I. I'm having the issue of like, there's things around the room that I'm in that I could reference, but that would be nothing to you or anyone else. 
It's not a not a great joke for a for a uh, an audio medium, <laughs> but it is what it is, Chase. Uh, so but, Aslan bleeds red like us. It breeds. Nobody makes Aslan bleed his own blood, except for Eustace and that thorn, and occasionally the White Witch. Uh, but he drops the drop of blood onto the dead King Caspian, and at that moment, he starts to reverse age. His gray beard goes to white and then blonde and then vanishes. He turns into a younger man. His, you know, like wrinkles are disappearing. He's, you know, uh, he his joints are, you know, repairing so that he can jump up and, you it know. becomes easy, breezy, and beautiful. Cover Caspian. Uh, maybe well, he's born with it, you know. Maybe it is Mabel Caspian. Uh, is do you remember him being blonde? I don't remember him being blonde. I bro, maybe that's I'm just the movie messing with me, but I do not remember Caspian being blonde. I'm not gonna lie to you. I I think I blacked out during Prince Caspian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, that entire book kind of just is a blur to me. I mean, uh, aren't they all at a certain point? <laughs> aren't they all, Chase? We've 95 episodes. 95 episodes. Two, three years. years. It's, a, it's a wild ride, man. Uh, some would say, man, it's only 95 episodes and it's taken you all three years. And we'd say, shut your mouth. Life is busy. <laughs> I'm shocked that we made it this far. <laughs> it's hard to do things on, on you know this pace. Could we have done like eight chapters at a time? Probably. No, I could not have. Because as I've said many times on this podcast, I read the night before and uh, generally stopped preparing after halfway through book one. Man, I look back on, on, you know, our first like book and a half. I'd say we did prep for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. More or less. We definitely prepped for Magician's Nephew. We definitely prepped there. But the amount of time that we've prepped... And and the consistency of the of the product for me <laughs> is is astounding. We don't prep much, and it's probably just about the same. Yeah, I I think there was a lot of time wasted on prepping in the first uh, first season and a half of this podcast. First season and a half. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I released this in seasons. It's uh, yeah. we're on season six. Episode uh, 16. There you go. Uh, but, you know, as we were saying, so is Caspian blonde? I'm not going to lie to you, Chase. No clue. You could say anything. He could be redhead. He could be blonde. He could have dark hair. I thought he had dark hair just based on the movie be, and my own memory. Sure. He could be brown. He could be blue. He could be violet sky. He could be anything you like, Chase. You know? Um, but... The, yeah, the Telmarines from the book versus, like, from the movie, where they're, like, almost presented as, like, dark-haired Spaniards. Yeah. Like, and what the Telmarines are in the book. I could not tell you what the Telmarines look like in the book. I don't remember. I don't even know if they're given a description. I'm not going to lie to you. It probably doesn't matter. It probably doesn't matter. Uh, they're, they're vaguely medieval, and that's all that matters. They're vaguely medieval, probably an offshoot of British, because that's C.S. Lewis. And everything is. Everything's British, and the points don't matter. Uh, but uh, Caspian pops back to life, and everyone's yeah. like... Jumps right on up. 
Jumps right on up and is like, hey, Eustace, you made it. Glad to see you here, buddy. You finally made it to Aslan's country, the you know world beyond the world. And Eustace is like, pause, hold on. Um, you dead, right? <laughs> like, I don't mean to be offensive, but like, you are, aren't you? You know, you're right. You get it, right? And he's just trying to beat around the bush. And Caspian, and I just want to pause here, and I, I want to apologize to any of your younger viewers who have sensitive ears. Can we, this are, is, we, are we going there? I think we have to, Chase. Yes, Lewis goes there. It's our 95th podcast. With the job that works with, uh, works with children. It's our, it's our 95th podcast, Chase. And it's the last chapter of the, of the sixth book. And Caspian says, Eustace, don't be such a donkey. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> you thought I was going to say. You thought I was going to. I, I, I did think for a second that you were going to. But, uh, yeah, he didn't does, say that. Eustace, have class. Yeah. Eustace, go fish for some bass. Eustace, something else that rhymes with that. Uh, but... He just, uh, he's like, he just calls him out and he's like, hey, you know, don't be a jerk. Don't beat around the bush. Who are you calling dead? <laughs> he just looks at Aslan and he's like, he's dead, right? And Aslan's response is really funny. I, it's honestly solid. Like, I, I did laugh at this part. He says, well, he chuckles and is like, most people have died, you know. I've even died. Really, not many people <laughs> haven't died yet. <laughs> Right, which is a a great turn. It's a great line uh, because it's like, like numerically, quantitatively, there are significantly more people historically who have died than who haven't. Yeah, like I would say we less than one percent, you know, are alive right now. Like I, I, you know, don't have the math on hand, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world, but there's a lot of people who die every day. Right, that's what I'm saying. And so it's like, you got to think, like, there's a lot of people always dying. A lot of people have died historically. Uh, Aslan himself has died. And, like, Eustace and Jill were not in Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. And so they're like, they, like, and who knows? Like, especially Jill has not been told the story that Aslan died and resurrected. Eustace, yeah, I don't know that Eustace has. Like, for all you know, like, unless they told him that. Outside, like, once they started hanging out, like, after he was, like, no longer a tool, like, <clears throat> we, like, this statement might be wild to them. Like, wait, what? You've died? It's also, like, one of those things that, like, saying to young people, or people yeah. who haven't experienced death, like, oh, well, most people have died. Like, the presence of death is a reality that doesn't really hit you until you start getting older and experiencing people dying. Yeah. It is, it's an, it's interesting to have the approach in the book be humor as the ramp into that, but you know, I'm, I'm here for it. It, It's a fun time. It's a fun time. It's a great line. Big fan of, I I wish Aslan had a little bit more Dumbledore where he was kind of sassy. Like I like I like my God who's a little sassy kind of thing. Yeah, uh, a but, twinkle in the eye 
is is a little bit more fun than clawing you in the back. Indeed. There's a reason that he had to make sure that Jill knew that he was not going to scorn her this time. Uh, yeah. you know. Because normally he would give her just as many scars as she gave someone else. Yeah, and Eustace, living proof that he has been ripped to shreds. Yeah. Granted, it was for his good, but still, it's not off the table. Uh, But uh, Aslan presents this idea of death and everything, and we have two main sections, I would say, Chase, for the rest of this podcast. One of them incredibly theologically significant and I like that's the first part the second one is ridiculous uh and wild and we'll talk about that because why wouldn't we um but the first part Caspian goes oh I see what the problem is you think I'm a ghost but I couldn't be a ghost because like we're not in Narnia if I was in Narnia coming back to life I would be a ghost but I'm in, I don't belong there anymore, and this is my home now, which probably means that y'all who are here, like, like if I was to show up in your world, I'd be a ghost, but, like, y'all are here, so I'm assuming y'all are, like, you know, like, you belong here as well. And they're at first like, oh, we belong in Aslan's country, and Aslan is like, well, hold on. You're he's kind like, of ghost, too. He's like, not yet. He's like, when you meet me here again you will have come to stay. But not now. You must go back to your own world for a while. Now, listeners, very quickly, we need to add a massive spoiler warning for the next book's ending. The final book's ending. If you you don't want that spoiler, skip ahead like a minute and a half. Right. Like, what happens is that the next time they're going to be in Aslan's country, it will have been revealed that Eustace and Jill and all the Pevensies and Diggory and, uh, oh, man, Diggory's... Everyone but Susan. Everyone but Susan died and are now brought into heaven, i.e. Aslan's country. That's a spoiler. All right. Listeners, you can now, you know, now we're just going to talk about the theological impact here. Yeah. So, like, I guess you want to sit more on, like, Aslan's country as, like, the true and better home? Or do you want to sit more on, like, the, like, reality that there is a, like, end point for everybody? The reality of death or the homeliness of God? I think a little bit of both, right? Um, Like, let's talk about, uh, I'd say first, the reality of death and that there is an end result, right? Like, C.S. Lewis makes no, like, he, he pulls no punches in letting his listeners know that he is a Christian, that Aslan is Jesus, and that in his world, like in his view, like his faith, his belief, <coughs> when you die, there is an eternal result. And yeah. for, for some, that is, you know, not so good. And it's going to be punishment in a lot of ways. Like he's going to address these questions in the next book heavily. Um, but for those 
who are with Aslan. We're going to put it that's, that way for now. Um, for those that belong with him and that those who belong with Jesus, there is an end result in Aslan's country. Yeah, and I mean, I like the like sense and the like reality of like even Jill and Eustace in this moment are like kind of longing like oh do we get to stay here like this is clearly right. a better place right and there's like no like the way Jill was asking to go home earlier in this chapter she's not asking for that here this is Aslan saying no it's not your time yet right like, there will be a time when you meet me here this is not it right to finish your time there yeah and and the, i think there's even reference to that in the way that aslan like that c.s lewis writes that section uh because she says uh please aslan may we go home now home lowercase and aslan said yes i have come to bring you home uppercase like capital letter h Right, and where is the immediate place they go? Aslan's country. They mm -hmm. go home. Right. What she is talking about is the imperfect version that she's aware of, that she's used to. But when she goes to Aslan country and Eustace goes there, they're aware. Oh man, this is way better, and that is going to be one of, if not the greatest theme in the next book yeah. is that Aslan is always greater and better and the things that he is about and does and has is always greater and better. Even the Narnia. Narnia is just an imperfect shadow. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's really like the, the theological side of uh, like home and like C.S. Lewis's depiction of like, thinking around story of like the gospel, the Christian story being the truer, like better story. And so like, it kind of taps into that sense that like our feeling of home, our desire for home, our comfort around home is meant to point us towards the true and better reality yeah. of home in God, of yeah. creation of like, like, the ability to be in his presence. And yep. that is like a cool thing that like kind of fits into the biblical storyline and more biblical theology. But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, that is one of the things that C.S. Lewis is really good at just having little moments of that. And that is one of the most famous points of C.S. Lewis's theology that he, you know, you're going to hear a lot of pastors quote C.S. Lewis in a lot of ways, you know, when they're preaching, probably one of the most quoted C.S. Lewis, you know, beliefs or thoughts is that like, if you constantly find yourself longing for something that doesn't exist, it's probably because you are meant to be a citizen of somewhere else. You were created for other things and we're never going to be satisfied in what is here, right? Uh, which is a sweet sentiment now that like, you know, Caspian, like he does not have an age particularly. He is, you know, he is in the most perfect like situation that he has been in. Uh, and it gets to enjoy life in perfection now. Uh, it, not in the shadow, but in the light. Yeah. Not in 
do like the fact that we get to see through Jill's eyes that like even in this place <coughs> this looks the like same the way house. as Caspian of like he is not necessarily like older, but he is not his age like he is transformed into a more like ageless version of Eustace. Yeah. Exactly. I like the idea that Aslan's country has that effect on people. Yeah, it's really cool. And so this is obviously something we'll get to talk about a lot more, you know, in the coming months uh, as we, you know, dive into the final battle or the last battle. Um, And that's a big concept there. But this is the like foreshadowing for that conversation is like, hey, this is something that we're going to address. Prepare yourself. This is the end of this book. And this is a conversation that we're going to be diving into because C.S. Lewis is ultimately leading kids to being able to hear, hey, Jesus didn't just die for your sins and resurrect, but also there's a purpose behind those things and there's an eternal destination that he is preparing us for, right? Um, And C.S. Lewis, one of the beautiful things of the books is he is weaving that storyline into Narnia so that by the end of the series, you are going, "I I can have this information and I'm ready for it. Yeah, Aslan's country is the goal. Right. And so um, it's a really... He was right. (laughs) Good old Reepicheep. Best characters in the series so far, Reepicheep and Puddleglum. You know, doing doing their thing. Uh, But it's a really sweet couple paragraphs that are are brief but very significant. And immediately followed followed by insanity. (laughs) By insanity. So here's what happens. They're like, like Aslan's like, hey, one day you will be with me again and it'll be great. And they're like, okay. Uh, and then Caspian's like, yo, can I go see their world for a little bit? And Aslan's like, bro, I'm so glad you asked. Like, Get your sword ready. You're and gonna and <laughs> he's like, what? This is great. And he's like, all right, children. Like, or like, you sis and, and Caspian, draw your swords. And uh, he's like, Jill, go grab that like thistle. And she does it. It turns into a horse whip. And he's <laughs> like, are y'all ready? This is going to be hilarious. I'm so pumped for this. Uh, and he's like, so what we're going to do, if you remember, when you came into Narnia, you were being chased by some bullies. Now, we're going to come back to that same exact time frame because, you know, Narnia, time, it's a thing. You know, whatever. Uh, and so... He's like, we're going to go back to that same moment, but this time, it's going to be so funny. We're going to prank him so good, uh, and I'm going to come with you. So they zap into Narnia, or they zap back into Earth, into England, and there's a giant wall, if you remember. Yeah. And Aslan's like, what if we just, let's just knock this 30-foot wall down real quick. And he knocks it down. Casual. Casual. And then he, a giant lion, a lion who is like canonically told to be bigger than any other lion. Yeah. The size of a small elephant. Yeah. Describing this chapter as the size of a small elephant. <laughs> like there, he's like, I'm not going to show my face to him, you know, cause C.S. Lewis has to shoo- shoehorn in another biblical metaphor here because yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, they can't see my face because you know, they'll, you know, die of glory or something like that. But yeah. he's like, I'll show him my backside. And so this wall crashes down. The bullies are coming over the hilltop and they see this giant elephant-sized lion's backside. And wouldn't you believe it? They see 
Caspian, Eustace, and Jill running at them with swords and whips. And Aslan's like, well, okay, let me give you some ground rules real quick. Only, like, that would have been terrifying enough. Only hit them with the blunt edge of the sword, though, because they're not villains. They're just kids. They're children and cowards. You could stop at children. Yeah. Yeah, you could. You should. And the fact that they're even, like, Caspian at this point, like, Eustace is one thing. We'll get to him in a sec. Like, Eustace is their age, and he has never had the superior aging and de-aging of the Pevensies. He is the age that he is. Yeah. Plus or minus two weeks, maybe. You know, or like a few weeks or whatever. Probably like, more like a, a, a year or two at this point. <laughs> that was maybe. a long boat ride. That was a long boat ride. But again, I block out Voyage of the Dawn Treader and Prince Caspian. Uh, but he is not like significantly de-aged, though, where it's like he learned all these skills like High Peter or like Hiking Peter and, you know, King Edmund and all these things. Caspian is a grown donkey man. And also a fully redeemed, revived, in this situation, literal ghost. Perfect <laughs> form. Like, this is his most athletic. We've most been told superior. he cannot have bad desires anymore by Aslan. But he is cool to just go beat up children. He is so on board with beating <laughs> children. With And it's like, Aslan can say this as much as he wants. Where it's like, oh, it's the blunt side. It's the flat side of a sword. Chase, you ever been hit by a metal pole? Cal, this is before it was bad to hit children. With a sword. Cal, like, this is before it was bad to use co- corporeal punishment in schools. And here's the deal. Even if you hit someone, like, the difference between a pole and a sword, the pole is always blunt. All pole, aspects of a pole are blunt. pole is actually holding a horse whip, thank you very much. Well, get to her. She's whipping girls, Chase. She's whipping them. That's not blunt. That is not a blunt object. There's no way to be like, hey, can you whip them softly? That's not how whips work. With his song? Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) but here's the deal. With a pole, you can like hit someone and it's just going to be like hitting them with like a bat or a club. It's blunt. It's going to hurt, but it's not going to cut. Yeah. A sword is flat, except for the parts that are on the top and bottom that are significantly sharp. Yeah. And what happens when you're swinging if you are not perfectly parallel to their skin? You're yeah. slicing children with swords. They're fine. They just get beat up a little bit and then they get expelled for being cowards and children. Okay, so now that we've addressed the violence aspect of this, sure. So they're all wearing their, you know, Narnian garb and whatnot. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. This is hilarious. We just pranked these kids so good. And then the head of, the, of Experiment House runs out, and C.S. Lewis makes sure that we know she's a woman, by the way. Uh, <laughs> How dare you? And just, just take that whatever direction you will, reader, uh, you know. And she runs out, sees 
three people, two of whom have swords, one of them on a whip, and and a giant lion that has broken the walls of her school. Yeah. And she is freaked out and calls the police. Chase, do you know what any sane person would do in this situation? Call the police? Call because, the police, Chase. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Aslan goes, Guten Prank, uh, and disappears. And then, like, Caspian's like, goodbye. And he fades back into Narnia, into Aslan's country. And Eustace and Jill bury their clothes and put on their school uniforms again. And the police arrive, and there's like, there's no elephant, there's no elephant-sized lion. There are no convict, there's no convicts with swords and whips. This lady must be crazy. And yeah. the she wall gets is intact. She gets, uh, she's wild, and so they're like, "Well, this lady's so incompetent at her job. Let's make her an administrator." And she's so incompetent at that that they're like, "Let's make her a parliament member." And then she ex- she excels at that because yeah, you know she lives happily ever after because this has to be a po- political joke. Right? Lewis like, are all bad at their jobs. C.S. Lewis is like, "Man, it's been a minute since I've made some quips." Like she's a woman. Also, Parliament, a waste of time. Like they're a bunch of idiots. Like yeah. that's that's how he ends this book is making some like like a ridiculous scene where children are getting beat by a grown man and then them making jokes about, you know, education and like politics. And then a final paragraph where he like wraps things up uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Really embarrassed his father. And, you know, Puddle Glum uh, was always cynical. uh, But, you know, that is what it is. Yeah, and now and there's then, a tourist attraction in Narnia where you can go underground sometimes. <laughs> and that, like that's how that's how the book ends, Chase. That's it. <laughs> why, why? Like for me, why couldn't the book have ended with Aslan going, "You will return here one day, and when you do, it will be your final time." And we go, "Oh man, there's a lot of theological significance in this book." This is heavy. I'm really excited for the last battle. He's like, nope, beat some children. <laughs> but don't, don't use the pointy end. Except, the, except for the whip, of course. <laughs> Jill's over here like, die. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's insane. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's ridiculous. It's very C.S. Lewis to do something very nonsensical and then just leave it at that. And it does, but Chase, that's the end of the book. And uh, we talked about this off pod as opposed to doing a further up and further in Chase. I'd love to just hear overall thoughts, book six. How'd you feel? How'd you like it? I still like this book. I think as a whole, the uh, like my ranking for Narnia books has remained Magician's Nephew first, Silver Chair second, and then probably Horse and His Boy third, if you can kind of gloss over some of the more problematic parts of it. But uh, yeah, and I kind of, I still kind of vaguely hold to that. And uh, So enjoyed the book. I think it had some cool moments, had a cool journey to it. 
also still C.S. Lewis doing some C.S. Lewis nonsense here and there. What yeah. about you? No, I'm with you. Uh, you know, obviously we're, we're, you know, nitpicking and we're, you know, our podcast is kind of built on cynicism and making fun of C.S. Lewis and the way that he does things. But I do enjoy this book quite a bit. And, and especially the, I think this is the first book like you can tell that like this one and magician's nephew in the last battle are the final ones he writes mm-hmm. because he starts to address way more significant topics. Um, and he's willing to kind of willing to dive into those and willing to like have the conversation or at least start it. Right. Which I think, you know, as, as people who have both been in youth ministry and, and worked with kids, worked with students, I think both of us really appreciate the idea of like, not condescending to kids, right? But speaking to them at their level about things that are true and real, right? Like you don't just be like, oh, well, this kid is young, so they can't handle this topic. They yeah. can't, you know, we shouldn't address speak, faith. Speak intelligently in an age-appropriate manner. Like, right, right. And and it's a, like you, you like, oh, should we address faith? Should we address doubt? Should we address depression? Should we address death? Yes, yeah, you should because those are real things in the world. Those are going to run into one way or the other. Exactly, and so I really appreciate that, and you can definitely see that this book, Magician's Nephew, in the Last Battle, which we have not gotten to, but he addresses those things, and he's willing to kind of have those conversations. Um, You know, there's there's a an actual storyline to this one. Like one of the reasons why Don Treader was so frustrating is because there's not really a point. Like, there, like, what's the? We just hop into the middle of a boat, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there's potential for fun, but it's more or less, you know, an episodic weekly tune in to the next, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. This it's more one, vignettes than actual uh, story. This one is an actual story with a purpose, and once the purpose is fulfilled, we're done. And and I appreciate that. Um, and so. I like this book. Uh, it's definitely in the top tier for me of the Narnian books. Um, I, and I, I appreciate it. Obviously, you know, if we're going to you know spend so much time nitpicking, it definitely like makes us more cynical towards his books. But yeah, my, my position on all of this podcast is that children's books are not meant to be read this slow and with this much uh, analysis. Right. This is a, this is a series much better told at a bedside reading your kids a story than it is two grown men doing a chapter by chapter, like nitpicking podcast about it uh, and where it'll be enjoyed more. But at the same time, when we are doing it in this format, we're going to get a lot of significance out of the things. We're going to get a lot of the the little things that are, you know, that he probably hid in there or just the one paragraph things or he's like, hey, remember how smart I am? Uh, and we get a little bit of that um, more than we would otherwise, right? And so I do enjoy this book quite a bit. I'm excited for The Last Battle. Um, I haven't read it in a while. And it's, uh, I don't remember any of it really like i remember like one or two like aspects but i don't remember yeah. any of the story of it other than the yeah. ending and yeah. that's because i feel like i kind of have a some assumptions that i'm going into it with and i'm excited to read it slowly just kind of take it as it comes instead of totally. with expectations totally. 
I'm uh, I remember most of the book quite well. It's probably the book other than Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that I remember the best um, because I think it is so significant in terms of the things that happen uh, and also the things that are a little bit more problematic, which there are definitely those things that exist in the last battle. We'll have stuff to talk about. (laughs) We're we're gonna have stuff to address in the same way that we did with Horse and His Boy, in the same way that we have elsewhere. Um, But you know, Chase, the next time we uh next time we, you know, pod together, we're gonna be starting a new book. Yeah, season seven. Season seven coming soon. Hashtag on VHS to store. We finished seven books before or six books before, you know, George R. R. Martin could finish one. Uh Amen. Chase, is it frustrating to you that this whole podcast exists in the time between George R. R. Martin's two books? Uh, no, because I still haven't finished his first book and I enjoyed the most recent television series in the prequel books that he has. I have given up on George R. R. Martin. I do not respect him anymore. Uh, I've moved on. I don't even know if I, like, if and what if he, you could watch Matt Smith flirt with his niece? I'd rather not. <laughs> I'd rather not. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to pass on that because Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Sanderson has earned my allegiance for the rest of my life. Uh, I will, you know, I will die for that man. Probably. I, I don't know if I would, you know, but Are you planning to, I don't plan on it. I mean, I hope <laughs> this so. is something you're expecting to be called on to do. I don't really want to die. And I don't really, you know, I'd rather not do that. I feel like that's, it seems unnecessary right now, but I also don't want him to die. He's, but he's also a young guy, you know, so just, you know, all that to say, you know, Brandon Sanderson, keep writing books because you're, you know, a machine, uh, real, you know, appreciate you and all that you do. Keep releasing books like a madman. Um, Red Rising 7 will come out at some point, or Red Rising 6 and then 7 now. Uh, I need to go back and reread those. Yeah, those will come out. And the world keeps turning, you know? I mean, and while the world continues to turn so that this doesn't turn into an (laughs) hour-long outro, uh, continue to find Season 7 of this podcast and everything else at uh, wherever you get podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get podcasts, uh, Chronicles of Podcasts. And you can also find us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts where you can see when we release new episodes and engage with us there. Uh, Start giving us ideas for 100th and 111st episodes uh, because they're going to be sometime in the next year probably. Yep. And on the on that note, don't let the blunt side of a sword hit you on the way out. We did it, Chase. We somehow did it. We have three minutes left in this episode in this uh, Zoom meeting, but uh, we did it. We did it. Look at us go. Six books down. Uh, it man. only took us three years. Only three years.